the Bob, I know. <laughs> I don't know which one of the quartet that was, but that's the, that's the Bob I know, so we're thankful to the Lord. Well, I'm just, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at God's gifts to His church, and really study this passage of Scripture out. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture to really ask ourselves... What is my gift and am I using what God has given to me? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. We're going to read the scriptures first, and then we're going to get into this passage. It says here in the text, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is, is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, Here's why. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So here's the question. Can any church anywhere grow? Why do you think about that for a moment? Because some people say, yeah, that church can't grow because it's out in the country, there's no people there, that church can't grow, or, or this church can't grow because this and this happened, or this church can't grow because all that. And we can say reasons why a church can't grow, and I'm not talking numerically, I'm talking about spiritually. Can a church grow anywhere, any church anywhere grow? The answer is what? Yes. Yes. I mean, if you don't think so, we need to study Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, this is the passage on church growth. Now, these aren't methods that we put together or certain things that we put. you got to read a book on how to grow a church and all that. These are biblical principles found right here in the scriptures of what it takes to help a church grow. We, we learned a couple weeks ago that a healthy, growing church will have godly relationships. We'll have people who care about one another. People who, in humility and gentleness and tolerating one another in love, will help one another be all that God wants them to be. That's a, a godly relationship will help a church grow. We learned a couple more, uh, about two weeks ago, because it was Mother's Day last week, we learned two weeks ago that unity in essentials, that there are certain things we can disagree about without being disagreeable, but there are certain things in the Bible that we must agree on, like one God. That's pretty important. One faith on how to get to that God through Jesus Christ. One Lord. That's very important. And if we don't agree on those things, something is wrong. So we need doctrinal unity. We need unity in the essentials. Now, whether or not you like ties or want to wear a suit and tie like Rob, that's, that's between him and God. We need to pray for him. But that's between him and God. That doesn't make someone more spiritual or less spiritual. So we need to be careful about that. But the unity in the essentials is important. 
Today we're going to look at gifted members and leaders, what that means and why this is important. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to learn about how a healthy, growing church will have equipped, functional membership. We're going to see what that all means as well. But let's look at this passage. And you know what? I am so glad that God doesn't just say to the church, grow up. I was a pretty immature kid for, you know, I knew how to push people's, but I still do. I got to be careful. But I knew how to push people's buttons a lot. And I would hear this from my stepmother all the time. Jeremy, grow up. And do you know now, isn't it amazing that they're saying that kids don't grow up until they're in their 30s? Isn't that, ex isn't that exciting? No, it ain't exciting. Used to be they would grow up a lot earlier, but now they're growing up a lot later in life. And so I'm so glad that God doesn't look at the church and just say, you know what, you guys need to grow up. I'll never forget, I was in a, a sermon uh, uh, somebody, a uh, pastor in Iowa was preaching. He was there as the pastor for six months. And I'll never forget his sermon. He, he said at the very end of the sermon, he said this, you know what God's teaching us here, church? You need to grow up. Grow up. I'm so glad that God doesn't say that. He doesn't say you just need to grow up. He says, I'm going to help you grow up. I'm going to give you all you need to grow up. Now you need to use the things that I give you so that you would grow together. Notice that we, what we need to do in this passage, we're going to see here in the first verse that we need to understand our giftedness. And then we're going to see in the next couple of verses, we need to marvel at God's generosity, Christ's generosity. And then we need to see, it, we're going to see in the last verse that we need to utilize our giftedness. So watch this here. We need to understand your giftedness. Notice this in verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. He starts off by saying this. He says, but to each one of us, don't miss this, but to each one of us, what grace was given to each one of us, grace was given. This is not talking about saving grace. This is talking about serving grace. And here's what it's saying. There is, we, we all have serving grace. Everyone that gets saved has serving grace. Each one of us, there is not one person in the member of Christ's body that is ungifted. Not one. Each one has something. Not one person in the, in the body of Christ is unimportant. We all are important. And we all are gifted. Now somebody wonders, what's my gift? What kind of gift do I have? Well, here's where it gets nice here. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he divides spiritual gifts in the two categories. Let's keep it simple here when we talk about spiritual gifts because a lot of people go all over the map with spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts are really broken down in two categories. First of all, there's the speaking gifts. These are the gifts to proclaim the very word of God. That's the, the ones who preach, the ones who teach, the ones who exhort, the ones who evangelize, the ones who encourage. Those have the speaking gifts of God. Now, what does it say in Peter? If you have a speaking gift, you better make sure you speak the very word of God. Yes. Somebody says, I got the speaking gift and I'm telling you what God to know. You better speak what? The very word of God. Yes. 
That's a speaking gift. We proclaim the very word of God. But there's another gifts, uh, categories of gifts. Not everyone's a preacher. Not everyone's a teacher. Not everyone's an evangelist. Not everyone exhorts. Not everyone encourages. But guess what else there is? The serving gifts. These are the gifts that are used to advance the very work of God. And so you have the speaking gifts that proclaim the word of God. You have the serving gifts that advance the work of God. You say, what are some of these gifts? Well, administration, leadership, giving, hospitality. We can go down the list. And let me just say this. Every time we use our gifts we bring glory to God and we build up the body of Christ. And I don't know what your gift is, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I know what your gift is not. Are you ready for this? I know one, one gift that God has not given anyone in the body of Christ, and that's the gift of sitting and doing nothing. You've missed it if you think that's your gift. No one has that gift. We all have either the gift of what? Speaking and helping out or the gift of serving, doing something to advance the work of Christ. And here's what's wonderful. We're all different. And, and we're going to learn this. And this is amazing. Notice what the text says. According to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's what this tells us. This is We learn a lot from this very phrase here. We, we, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's what it's saying here. Not all receive the same gifts. It's amazing that some churches say you have to have this gift in order to be saved. Not all have the same gifts. Not all receive the same number of gifts. There are certain people that have more gifts than one. I went to seminary with a guy who is an incredible preacher and an incredible administrator. I'm trying not to get jealous. And an incredible musician. I mean, this guy was incredible all around. Not everyone has the same number of gifts. And you know what? Here's what's amazing about the gifts. Not all receive the same amount of any one gift. So somebody may have the gift of serving and they open up their house all the time. And someone else may have the gift of serving and only want to open up their house once a month. And somebody else has the gift of serving and only wants to open up their house once a year. Amen. <laughs> somebody doesn't even have a house. That's great. I had to get you for that one. <laughs> so we got to be careful with our gifts. There's some that have the gift of teaching that know how to handle the Bible in amazing ways and can make it so clear. Others may have the gift of teaching, but they fumble through their words. That's okay. Some may look at someone else and say, wow, look at that person, the way they do it. I'll never. No, our gifts are the way God wanted us to have the gifts. He didn't blow it. And the reason why he gave us those gifts is that he would get the glory, not us. And that the body would be built up. So we need to understand that each one of us, grace was given. The gift was given. Each one of us has a gift to serve one another. Each one of us should be building up the body. So, so the question is, do, are you using your gifts? We're going to talk about that in a moment. 
You say, what makes these things so important? Well, he's going to go to a psalm to explain this. This is amazing here. He goes to Psalm 68. Notice this. Marvel at Christ's generosity. He says here in verse 8, he, he quotes that as Psalm 68, verse 18. Now, I, I, I like Psalm 68. I mean, it's, it's an amazing psalm. If you ever study Psalm 68 out, it's, a, it's an incredible psalm. Right away, he tells, Arise, O God! Scatter your enemies. I mean, there's a there's a verse for you, you know, and you somebody messes with you, you just say, All right, I'm praying Psalm 68 1 for you. Arise, oh God, destroy the guy. Amen. I mean, that's a verse. And then Psalm 68 talks about how the king, after a victory, would descend, he would descend down from the mountain, go to victory. Win the victory, ascend up in the mountain with the spoil behind them, with the people that he took captive, and he would bring them, and they all would hail to the king, the victorious king. Here's what it says. Verse 8. When he ascended on high, who's the he? Jesus. If you don't know about the ascension, 40 days after Jesus resurrected from the dead, he ascended on high right into the clouds. It was amazing. The disciples just looked up at him and wow, he's gone. When he ascended on high, what happened immediately after he ascended on high? He sent the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost. And you know what else he did? He gave gifts to the church. And so here's what it's saying here. As Christ ascended on high, the victory of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in a moment that he descended on earth. But when he ascended on high, the victory of Christ, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, he is victorious and he sat at the right hand. And what did he do? He led the captive captives. We who were held captive in sin, we who were held captive by Satan are now set free because of Jesus Christ. He's the victor. He's the one that ascended. But guess what? He also descended. Now don't miss this. Where did he descend? Into the lower parts of the earth, or namely the earth. See, we don't think about this. But when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he left glory and he became a man. Yes. Not only a man, he became a slave. Not only a slave, he became obedient to death. Not only death, he went down even lower to the death of what? The death of a cross. The worst kind of death. The one who ascended first, descended, he came down, and he defeated the devil and sin and death and hell on that cross. And here's what he's saying. He ascended. What does it mean? That except he also descended. And then when he ascended and descended, he gave gifts. He descended to conquer his enemies, Satan, sin, death, and hell. And here's what. He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens. Now don't miss this. Why did Christ come down on this earth? Why did Christ, be, why did he go all the way up into the heavens? Why did he come down and up? Here's why. This is amazing when you think about this. He, he came down to conquer his enemies. He went up to let the captives free and now he's victorious and he gave gifts to men. Now you read Psalm 68. It's a little different. 
In Psalm 68, the king goes down, defeats the enemies, goes back up the mountain, and as he's going back up, people are throwing him gifts. But not our Lord. Our Lord goes down, he comes up, and he gives gifts. That's our God. And you know why he did that? Look what it says here. So that he might fill all things. Now don't miss this verse. If this doesn't put a lightning under you, a fire under you to start doing something for God, I don't know what will. It's saying here that what Christ wants to do by coming down and going up, he wants to fill this world with his presence. And you know how he is doing it? You know how he's doing it? His mission is to fill all things. You know how he's doing it? Look at this. Jesus is active presence on the earth. Are you ready for this? You know how he's doing it? Through his church. Yes. Think about this. As we are using the gifts that God has given to us, his presence through his church in the community that he has put us is filling all things. Wow. Somebody said, think about this. Let's make this personal for a moment. Widefield Community Bible Church. Christ wants to fill his presence here as we make an impact in the community that he has placed us right here. Think about that. And how does he do that? Through you and me using what he has given to us. That should make us marvel. Somebody says, well, I got a gift, so what? I just got saved and I got a gift. No, Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven to give you that gift. We ought to marvel at our gifts. We ought to marvel on how generous our Lord is. And instead of being like that king that goes down and up and wants to receive, he's a king that gives them so that we would use them. And so you say, what are some of these gifts in, in the passage that he's given to us? Now, now we get through here, we notice here, we marvel, we need to utilize them. Christ gave us gifts so that we would use them. We have roles, we have responsibilities, each one is different, and we have to use them. In baseball... Let me explain a little bit of baseball to you for a moment. You got outfielders. You got infielders. And you got pitchers. It is very rare that a player can do all three. Unless you're Johnny Estrema. Amen? <laughs> all right? My son can. But it's very rare. In fact, we were playing our game on, on, on uh, Friday, and one of them came up to me and said, Coach, Coach, I'm in the outfield. I can't play outfield. He's not like, I won't. He says, I can't. I don't know how to do it. So there's outfielders, there's infielders, and there's pitchers. And there's other people too. But we'll just break it down into those three. In the church, there are different people, and they need to use what God has given to them. In the church... We're going to see what God has given us. Notice this in verse, in verse 11, the different people that God has given us in the church. He says he gave some as what? Apostles. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day where people still think they're apostles. And I'm here to tell you, there are no apostles today. All right. But it doesn't mean we don't benefit from the work of the apostles. 
They laid the foundation of the church. They gave confirmation of the foundation through signs and wonders. They wrote the Bible. I'm thankful for the apostles. And God gave them to the church to lay down the very foundation of the church. But once we have the word of God, now we don't need the apostles, the prophets. These are the people that not only uh, talked about the future, they declared what God would want of them in that day. Now, let me just tell you this about the prophets. Let me explain something to you. Anybody know Agabus in the Bible? Yes. Read Agabus in Acts chapter 21. Do you remember when Paul wanted to go somewhere and what Agabus did? Are you ready for this? I'm going to tell you. He goes this. He goes, I want to talk to you about what the Lord has for your life. And this is what he does. He says, God has a plan. I'm telling you what God, let me tell you what God wants. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, you shall not go into that city. You will die there. He took Paul's belt, not his Bible. Prophets in the New Testament received direct revelation from God and they preached direct revelation before someone had the Bible. Now, I'm going to hold my belt right here. We have the Bible. I got your attention with that one. I love that illustration. We got the Bible. Amen. Now one amen, huh? Well, I'll preach my belt today. <laughs> you want to see, thus says the Lord? Now some parents do say, thus says the Lord, right? <laughs> Not anymore, you get arrested. But anyway, the Bible. So New Testament prophets, they weren't going around preaching the Bible. They were going direct revelation from God. And you had to test the prophets to make sure what they were saying was right. Now we have this, praise God. We don't need that. And let me just tell you something. If you ever go into a church and somebody takes off their belt like I just did and says, thus says the Lord, run! The Lord ain't speaking through this. The Lord speaks through this. Yes. And then we have these evangelists. And I thank God for evangelists. I thank God for those who are gifted in the church who really know how to proclaim the gospel and make it clear to people. I listened to some of Billy Graham's sermons. The way that he could show the gospel to people was amazing. In fact, I got saved through one of his ministries that he had. Not through him, but one of the ministries that he had. The people that knew how to preach the gospel. We are all called to evangelize, but thank God that there are people in the church that evangelize and share the gospel and have that gift to share the gospel with people. And then you have, can we pick on them for a moment? The pastors slash teachers, because there's only one article in the Greek. These are not two different people. What do they do all week since they only work on Sundays? <laughs> I didn't get one amen after that one, huh? <laughs> I love Pastor DeVille in Falcon. He said he had a guy come up to him and say, So, sir, what do you do all week? And Pastor DeVille doesn't mess around. He said, well, he said, did you see what you just heard on Sunday? That's what I do all week. I prepare that. Now, why do you think of something? Pastors are what? Teachers. Yes. We're ones that are studying the scriptures to feed you the Bible. 
Because we believe the Bible is what changes lives. And so pastors are shepherds. I mean, so many things that a pastor does that we're not going to get into all that. But the main duty of a pastor is to teach the flock. Shepherd the flock, the very word of God. And praise God that that that, that is there, that, 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 that God puts people. And so, can I say this with all humility? I'm your gift to the church. Amen. Now, what? Uh, a couple of amens. I thank you. Thank you. I didn't want a round of applause. I don't want to tell you. They're like, where's the gifts right here? There's gift Jeremy right over there. This <laughs> gift Rick and, you know, gift Chalmer. You just go right down the leadership. Where to, where to preach the word of God and to prepare. So, so why do we do that? Not because you pay us the big bucks. I hate that line, by the way. This is what you're supposed to be doing, pastor. That's why we pay you the big bucks. Read your Bibles. The very next phrase is amazing. For the equipping of the saints for the work of what? I work, you work. I study, serve anywhere God wants me. Here I am, Lord. I need to be serving. I need to be studying. I need to be feeding. I need to be shepherding. Guess what? You need to be working as well. It's amazing what God has called and given these people to the church for. Not that you pay them the big bucks and you just sit there and watch and they do all the work. No, we are in this together. And, and really, what a pastor does, that word equip, and we're not going to spend too much there because next week I'm going to talk all more about that word equip is an interesting word. It means a mending of nets or a restoring of a person or a helping a person be all that God wants them to be. That's my prayer. That's my focus. You say, what in the world does Pastor Jeremy, what is his, his job? If you want to call it a job, it's a ministry. It's to help people be all that God wants them to be. And that's why I love coaching. Because there's a lot of similarities. When you're a coach, you're not going to put somebody who says, I can't do the outfield. Okay, go in the right field. You're going to either equip them to be in right field or you're going to put them in a position where they can flourish. As a pastor, you realize somebody may not have a certain gift, all that. So I'm not going to look up to him and say, hey, tomorrow you preach. You got to see Rob's face last night when I said to him, or yesterday, I said, by the way, prepare to lead music tomorrow because we don't know if Brian's going to be here with all the stuff he's going on. A silence on the other line. <laughs> That's not his gift. So I got to be careful as a pastor putting people in positions that they're not going to flourish. And so coaching is to help the players be all that they can be. Pastoring is helping the people be all that God wants them to be. It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service. So the question is this. Look at this, what it says here. Gifted people are to minister the word to others so that they in turn are prepared to get involved in ministering to others. So here's the question I want us to think about today. What are you doing with what God has given you?
You say, Jeremy, I, I may have the gift of serving. I just don't know how to use it. Well, I'll help you. I'll give you a few ideas. You say, Jeremy, I, I, I may have the gift of, of speaking. I, I think I can help. Well, I'll help you. I'll get you involved. People are like, uh-oh, no, wait a minute. I made that, I'm not going to talk to pastor about that stuff. <laughs> no, I want you to be all that God wants you to be. But one thing we're sure that he hasn't given you is the gift of sitting. I'll never forget Grandpa Tom. Here's a man that, you know, he was over 90 at the time when he joined the church. And he said this, Jeremy, we're at Donuts. He said, you know, Jeremy, he says, how can I get more involved? I'm praying for the church, but I want to do more. How can I do it? That's refreshing. That's God at work in someone's life. That is someone who realizes his physical limitations, but really says, here I am, Lord, to my final breath, use me. That's what God wants out of each one of us. That's the question we ought to be asking. Lord, how can I be used of you for your honor and glory? I'm not here just to hide and sit down and run. I want to be used of you in the best way. It may be in the nursery. It may be in VBS. It may be in different things. There's so many different ways we can get involved. But that's between you and the Lord. But it starts with an open heart. And remember, God has put people into your life, not that you should watch them work. He has put people into your life to equip you so that you can do the work. That's an amazing thought when we think about it. But that's a healthy church. So as we get into communion right now, I want us to bow our heads and pray for a couple of moments here.